Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. According to the Department of Labor, for the week ending October 10, the advance figure for seasonally adjusted initial unemployment claims was 898000 an increase of 53000 from the previous week. The four-week average was 866250 an increase of 8000 from the previous week. Those numbers may sound grim, but they were way better than the April and May numbers that approached $7 million. In an effort to keep the economy afloat and to combat the unemployment crisis, and as part of the CARES Act, Congress introduced the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. The program is precisely what it sounds like. Money, forgivable loans, potentially, to keep workers on the payroll. The loans were targeted to businesses, and that included sole proprietors, independent contractors, gig workers, and self-employed persons. You could use the money for employee salaries, paid sick or medical leave, insurance premiums, mortgage, rent, and utility payments. You could also use the funds for family, medical, and sick leave. So many businesses signed on that the cap was hit pretty quickly. As a result, there was a second round of loans in the summer. The program officially closed at the end of August 8, 2020, and the SBA is no longer accepting PPP applications from participating lenders. But that doesn't mean that PPP loans still aren't in the news. A number of issues remain open, including how and when to apply for forgiveness and a controversial stance from the IRS on deductibility. A few tax professionals tackled these topics early on and have been following the ups and downs since the spring. One of the most prominent is my Forbes colleague, Tony Nitty. Tony is a partner in Ruben Brown's Tax Services Group. Nitty is a well-known contributor of tax content for Forbes, as well as a frequent speaker and trainer at seminars and webcasts across the country. He has 20 years of accounting and tax experience, including working in the tax departments of Arthur Anderson, Price Waterhouse, and most re- recently with them. Nitty focuses primarily on corporate and partnership tax planning with a special focus on the consolidated return regulations and the reorg provisions, including the structuring of acquisitions, mergers, reorgs, spinoffs, and other restructuring transactions. Today, Tony is stopping by to talk about what you still might need to know about the PPP. So, Tony, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. So this is exciting because I have seen you um, tweeting and writing extensively about PPP. And I know that a lot of your um, pieces really go in depth about what folks want to know. And I know that, uh, again, a lot of our colleagues have been very appreciative of all the information that you've been providing. But I think that there came a point, (laughs) I don't know where it was this summer, where it felt like we were just oversaturated with PPP news. It was all of the time. It was final interim rules and changes and suggestions. And are we going to get another package? And it's, it's interesting because all of a sudden, at least on my end, PPP's gone a little quiet. And I do think it, it's kind of that, you know, the coming down off of this peak. But there's still so much information and so much stuff happening with PPP. So that's why I wanted to ha- have you on, because I think a lot of the conversation is shifting towards other things. 
but there's still all these outstanding factors. And of course, one of them is like, what now? Like what next? So I was wondering if you could kind of share with us your Reader's Digest version of kind of what you've seen as the evolution of PPP and kind of where we are now and and what you think uh, listeners need to know about kind of the next steps. Sure. Yeah, happy to. As far as the evolution goes, you could say that we started on March 27th with the passage of the CARES Act with a whole lot of confusion. And now, you know, we can safely say that on October 21st, we still have a whole lot of confusion. So (laughs) there hasn't been a lot of evolution on that front. It's just that the confusion, what it's focused on has shifted, right? Originally, we spent so much time trying to figure out who could borrow, how much could they borrow, you know, how do they apply for it? The banks all had kind of different calculations going on. The payroll companies had different calculations going on. So there was a lot of effort just put into understanding how much businesses could borrow. And then, of course, you know, there was a ton of confusion surrounding, okay, now, how do we get to spend this? What's eligible? What's not? What counts? What doesn't? And as you said, we really got into that to a great degree, and largely because the questions weren't exactly forthcoming or the answers weren't forthcoming. You know, there's rollouts from the SBA on an FAQ, a frequently asked question. Then there was some interim final rules that were issued. And sometimes they, they created more questions than they answered. But we eventually got to a point where we felt kind of comfortable with the initial rollout. And then, like you said, things went a little bit quiet. But the reality is, right now is the important part. Because everybody that's going to get a PPP loan, at least as it stands today, right, has gotten it. Right. And most people, you know, have probably spent all the proceeds. And so when we say now is the important part, it's because, look, you know, we describe this as a loan. But in theory, the reason everybody rushed to go get a PPP loan is because this is a loan in name only. It's supposed to be effectively a grant in the sense that if you spend the money the correct way, then you can apply to have it completely forgiven. Right, it's and free so money. it should be, right? In theory, it's free money. It's just that there is so much confusion still at this point as far as you know, how we can ensure for businesses that full forgiveness will in fact be accomplished. And so, as you said, right, now is not the time to kind of kick PPP to the curb because you really need to pay attention on making sure that you spend your money the appropriate way, that you report it the appropriate way when you file an application for forgiveness and understand you know, what makes PPP so tricky is at least for, for those who borrowed more than $50,000 is you could theoretically do everything right in the sense that you took your proceeds and you spent it on payroll and you spent it on mortgage interest or rent or utilities and you spent every single penny that you borrowed. But one of the kind of uh, carrots that they dangled from a PPP perspective is, look, the whole purpose of this loan is for you to keep people on your payroll and keep them you know, fully paid. And so even if you spent every penny you borrowed, if you slashed headcount or cut salaries of certain employees during the period that you had to, to spend the money in the loan or what we call the covered period, then even though you spent every penny, right, there is a really good chance that you won't get full forgiveness because of the way the math works, if you cut headcount or if you cut salary, you may have a reduction amount. And so there's a lot of moving parts that go into computing the forgivable amount. Now, I will say that on June 5th, when Congress passed the PPP Flexibility Act, they made a huge change. And what they did is 
originally we were going to have eight weeks to kind of spend these amounts and, and total up everything we spend in those eight weeks to figure out how much could be forgiven. They, as a default rule, extended that to 24 weeks. And so what that ends up meaning in practice is that in 24 weeks, what's going to happen is most borrowers are going to spend far more in terms of qualifying expenses than what they actually borrowed. So even if they have to undergo some type of reduction in the forgivable amount because they slashed headcount or because they cut salaries, they still, in a lot of situations, just mathematically, will be able to get full forgiveness. Do you think in your experience that you kind of uh, alluded to this as most people will probably be okay, do you think that businesses felt pressure early on to recharacterize the way that money was being allocated? Because this was something that I was hearing from business owners is that the way that the rules were written, they were overly concerned about payroll and not able to meet other kinds of expenses. And I think that one of the concerns that I was hearing is, should we qualify things as advanced bonuses? Like, should we, you know, they were trying to recharacterize the way that money was being spent. And as a tax and, and accounting person, you know, you, your initial thought is, you know, don't do that, don't do that, right? For the book. Sure. But I think a lot of businesses felt the pressure to do that. Do you think that that kind of early pressure is going to either a affect whether or not they get re, you know uh, forgiveness and b how their tax picture is going to look at the end of the year because that's something that I know that a lot of other folks had had mentioned is that when you start you know creating new categories of spend it affects your tax picture so do you think that the pressure to to spend money a certain way in a short period of time which as you mentioned is kind of, um, you know, that that's been alleviated somewhat, but do you think that early pressure is going to affect tax returns or forgivability because of recharacterizations? Or do you think that, that maybe those folks have had the time and the breathing room to go back retroactively and, and kind of fix things? Did that question make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think the move from an eight to 24 week period is certainly going to help in that regard, but let's go back a little bit um, to kind of your initial question. You know, we say businesses kind of felt compelled to to really recharacterize everything as payroll. And, you know, they were working against a number of different constraints that sometimes felt like there was no great option. And again, a lot of this is attributable to just the way the PPP program was rolled out and the confusion it created, right? When the CARES Act was passed, it didn't really force your hand in terms of it gave you four different categories of expenses. Right. You had a number of different payroll costs that you could incur and have forgiven, and then mortgage interest, rent, and utilities. And it didn't differentiate between the different buckets. It just said, go ahead and spend them during the period, and whatever you spend uh, will be eligible for forgiveness. And then soon after, you know, even though the CARES Act had no type of limitation applied, uh, the SBA rolled out uh, an interim final rule that said, no, 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 you know, now we're going to cap. The amount of non-payroll expenses you can have forgiven, so your rent, your, your mortgage interest, and utilities at 25% of you know, the total forgivable cost. And that sent a lot of people into a panic, right? Because, yeah. you know, for example, I'm, I'm out in Aspen, Colorado, where for a lot of businesses, particularly during the off-season, which is you know, May, June, July, when, when a lot of companies were borrowing their loans, they don't have a ton of payroll requirements at that time anyway. What they did have was a huge rent requirement. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so to find out that the non-payroll costs were limited was difficult. And then when people started to recharacterize and move things more to payroll, like you said, by paying bonuses, they ran into another constraint realizing that, oh, shoot, we have limitations on how much payroll we can pay any one person uh, during our covered period. And the thing is, you know, those limitations vary based on whether it's just a rank and file employee whether it's an owner employee, you know, whether it's a, a general partner in a partnership. And so business owners ha- have been nothing if not confused as far as how to spend the funds. And then when they started to get a handle on it, the SBA came out and said, you know, now we're going to raise that limit from 25% of your total cost that can be attributable to non-payroll up to 40%. And so there's just been these moving targets all along. And really, you know, to answer your question as far as um did business owners feel like they, they could take a deep breath and understand what needed to be done to, to maximize forgiveness? The answer is how, you know, dependent on how much time they really had to devote to following all of these rules. Cause it's been a full-time endeavor. It really has. I mean, it uh, never ceases to amaze me that, you know, my, my firm will put out a, another webinar on PPP loans and I'll think there's no way, there's no way anybody out there still wants to hear anything about this. And then you know, thousands of people will sign up because you do realize that business owners, you know, they were struggling for their business's very existence over the last six months. They, they didn't have time to sit there and educate themselves on PPP loans. So, Right. And the way that it was rolled out, and this is something actually I had discussed with uh, Jeff Grant on the podcast, uh, you know, a few months ago. I actually think that, you know, the way that they rolled it out by, by capping it with both a date and a, and a dollar amount kind of sent a lot of people into an early panic. So you didn't really have time to consider whether or not you needed one. You had this pressure to, I need to hurry up and sign up in case it's not there. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for education early on. I mean, this is something I've also, I talked about this with Nicole in the podcast, because you also had a bookkeeping issue. You had a lot of businesses that weren't anticipating this kind of program. And maybe their books weren't in shape and they weren't even sure if they needed it or if they qualified for it. And so there was a lot of scrambling really early on. And kind of to your point about the six months, you know, most business owners, especially small business owners, do spend most of their day running their business. (laughs) They're not, you know, they didn't sign up to be a baker to figure out SBA regulations. So I, I think that there's this combination of the sense of urgency at the beginning, like you have to sign up now or you'll never qualify, right? So there were all these people kind of panicking and I have to get my loan now. And then there was this period of time when they got it, where people were sitting and figuring out like, what do we do next? And I think that in the middle of all of that, when you've had businesses closing and you've had the kind of shutdowns that we've seen in in metropolitan areas like um, Philadelphia and New York, um, you know, there wasn't time to catch up. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing now is that people at the end, you know, I think they're exhausted from PPP, but there's still work to be done. And I think that that the, the kind of, and I know there's been a lot of criticisms of the program in that regard, but I do feel like it's always been these, you know, this sense of urgency followed by this kind of, uh, you know, playing catch up. And I think we're still doing that in October. And, and again, I, I, I know that there's been a lot of commentary about how the program could have been better. 
But um, even amongst the tax profession, you know, we're still seeing we, we don't all know what's going on. And I, I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. But I do think it's resulted in a lot of just plain exhaustion, not only for tax professionals, but for business owners. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And, and, you know, one of the big concerns I still hear almost on a daily basis from people that reach out to me about PPP is just, hey, you know, I'm almost at the point where I'm ready to apply for forgiveness. And, and believe it or not, I think I've kind of figured out the math that have the right number in terms of my forgivable amount. But what happens if, you know, I apply and, you know, the SBA looks, or I'm sorry, what if I apply for forgiveness and the SBA looks at this and says, you know, your business didn't suffer at all. You didn't need this loan. You know, am I going to be in trouble? And to me, the whole eligibility and need aspect of PPP was probably the most disastrous aspect of the rollout because it, it really sent business owners on a roller coaster ride, the likes of which I don't know if I've ever seen before. Because as you said, when the CARES Act came out, it was basically a gold rush, right? Because it just said, look, if, if economic uncertainty arising from COVID-19 makes this loan necessary for you, you, you can go get it as long as you met the eligibility requirements for number of employees and so on and so forth. And so, I mean, at that time, go back to, to March, right? Economic uncertainty. I mean, everybody you know, was in a lockdown. So of course, everybody assumed they were eligible. And as you said, it was beaten into their heads that, hey, this money's going to be gone immediately. And it was. And so everybody sprinted off to get it without really thinking about whether you know, they should or if they needed it. And they go and they get their PPP loan. And then after the fact, the SBA kind of comes out and says, hey, you know, we take this economic uncertainty and need aspect pretty darn seriously. And so we're going to come around and we're going to publish a list of everybody who got the loans. And, you know, this all started, of course, because a couple of big franchises were able to get the loans and it made for some bad publicity, but it just meant that every business business owner was left asking the questions, you know, am I going to end up on a list? Am I going to end up getting in trouble? And the SBA even said, you know, you better make sure you need this money. And if you don't, you might want to pay it back by what ended up being, you know, the third week of May. And business owners just freaked out because they said, I mean, how do I know? right now if I necessarily need the money. Like things look okay right now, but even if if my business looks rosy, you know, if one of my major suppliers or customers suffers, then I'm gonna suffer. And it's amazing to me that here we are six months later, and as they apply for forgiveness, businesses are starting to feel that sense of panic again of, hey, things never turn that bad for me. Am I gonna get in big trouble for for taking out this PPP loan. And so, which is the irony of the whole thing, right? Like the, the idea that if your business ended up being okay, then maybe you shouldn't have gotten it in the first place. But that's <laughs> the know. whole point of the, the act was yeah. to keep the economy going. The program works. So let's punish you. No, I mean, I, I, <laughs> this was obviously a response to some bad publicity uh, soon right. after the PPP loan came out, but it really did scare a lot of business owners that, that took the loan out because they thought they might need it to survive. And as you said, the thing we should all be grateful for is if they ended up not necessarily needing the loan, if things continue to go well for their business. So yeah, it has been a, a very difficult, I am sure, seven months for business owners. And as you, you know, said a couple of times here, the work is not done. The, the forgiveness process can be a time-consuming one. There's a lot of documentation required. And there's a lot of math required and, and then going through definitional terms and computing your full-time equivalent employees. And so now is not the time to just think that the PPP is over. You know, once you get that application submitted, then you can take a deep breath. 
In terms of kind of one of the things that we've talked about a lot is the fact that the rules keep changing. One of the things that I'm seeing with respect to forgiveness is there are professionals saying, you know, don't, don't submit yet because what if the rules change again? What are your thoughts on when to apply for forgiveness? My firm, we have a number of people kind of devoted to to helping their clients with this. And even with our within our little group, you know, we go round and round on this. Uh, we just did it the other day. I mean, as I said, the covered period has been extended from eight weeks to 24 weeks. And so, you know, my general feeling is there's no rush to apply for forgiveness in the sense that if you can, you know, go at run out your full 24 weeks, accumulate as much, much cost as humanly possible. So that even if you find out that you have some reduction required in your forgivable amount, because maybe you lost a full-time employee, you know, not lost, but because if someone leaves voluntarily, it doesn't count against you, but you know, you, you cut a full-time employee or you cut some salary that you'll still get full forgiveness. And of course, you know, there's some aspect, like you said, of wondering if, if rules may change or we may get some more guidance, but I, I just think we've come this far. If you can wait your 24 weeks, it's not like you have to start repaying the loan. You have, you know, 10 months from the end of your covered period to apply for forgiveness. And during that time, your interest in principal payments will be deferred. And so, you know, I'm from the school of thought of, hey, let's run out the clock in the 24-week period, gather all the information that we need. We can run the full reports of payroll during that period, so on and so forth, and submit the application. But there are others who have said, look, I'm only 10 weeks in, I'm 12 weeks in, I'm 16 weeks in. I've spent more than I borrowed and I just want this to be done. Uh, and I, how can you blame, you know, how can you blame anybody for just wanting to know if they're going to have forgiveness? And, you know, one thing we haven't discussed yet, one of the big, big, you know, unknowns hanging out there is the deductibility of expenses paid with PPP proceeds. And as of today, you know, and this made quite a bit of news because it seems to run contrary to the intent of the CARES Act, even if it might be the correct answer from an IRS perspective, uh, expenses that you pay with amounts that ultimately end up being forgiven will not be deductible. And some businesses really want to know what their forgivable amount will be sooner rather than later so they can know what their tax picture is going to look like for 2020. You know, how much of these expenses are going to have to uh, become non-deductible by virtue of this, this subsequent forgiveness. And so we have some, some businesses that are certainly itching to apply for forgiveness. The problem right now is you know most lenders aren't really in a position yet or are saying they're not in a position to take applications because they're still waiting on some pieces of guidance and they're still kind of getting their processes in place. But some businesses just want to be done with it and they want to apply now. And the problem that comes with applying early before a 24-week period is, again, we shouldn't be confused about this at this point in time, but it's amazing that we still are, is the SBA sounds like they give us two choices, an eight-week period or a 24-week period. And while an IFR says you can apply before a 24-week period is uh, up, it's just there's some computations that have to take place when you apply for forgiveness that, that don't kind of prorate well over a shorter period. And so there's some discussion of you know, whether you even really can apply uh, before your 24-week period is over. I mean, we know that you, you're permitted to, but again, logistically, it's just a tricky thing. And so I don't know, uh, to answer your question, I'm in the school of thought that we've come this far, wait out your 24-week period, pass off your documentation and, and your application to your lender. You've got 10 months after that, to, or you've got 10 months from the end of your cover period before you have to apply for forgiveness. And so 
there's no point in sprinting to the finish line here when um, we can be a little bit more deliberate and make sure we get that full forgiveness. Right. And just for folks who are listening who are not tax professionals, the issue on the deductibility, which has come up quite a bit with respect to Congress and, and IRS, is that the, the PPP loans, if they're forgiven, you do not include them in income. So it's free money, right? So the question has been, if you use that money that's not considered income to pay expenses, should you be able to deduct the expenses? The IRS says no, because that would be double dipping to be able to deduct something that against income that you never recognized. And there's some discussion that that's not what Congress intended, that they intended for it to be deductible. So that has been a, a controversial piece for quite some time, because I do think that when the, the PPP first came out, the general assumption was that folks were going to be able to deduct these expenses. And kind of to Tony's point about, you know, n- overspending, right? You know, again, it goes back, I think, to, to recategorizing. And I do think that that's a challenge if you're looking at deductibility and also audit triggers. This is something we've been talking about a lot because I, I do a lot of the, uh, the controversy work. So at the end of all of this, the buckets, you kind of mentioned buckets of income earlier, Tony, but the buckets of income and expenses for 2020 aren't going to look like they did in 2019 for a lot of businesses. And the IRS likes algorithms and they like metrics and they like for things to look the same. So there is kind of this chatter in the community about making sure that your records are super good because you don't want to have a return that all of a sudden looks a lot different than it used to before. And I do think that, you know, when you have money that's coming in, that um, is not I mean, accounted for it isn't the right word, but isn't that you're not counting it as income. It's going to make your returns look a lot different than they did in prior years. Is that something that you're talking about with business owners yet? Or is that something you're going to kind of face next year? No, we're facing it right now. You could argue actually that it's the biggest area of interest right now, because while the IRS and notice 2020-32 has told us, as you said, that, hey, these expenses that you pay with amounts that are ultimately forgiven you know, they're not going to be deductible. Okay, we, we get that. That's your position. We can adhere to that. What they haven't told us is mechanically how it works. And what I mean by that is you have a very unique situation here where the expenses were incurred in 2020. But going back to our last discussion we just had about the fact that, hey, people like me are saying, hey, wait for your 24-week period is over, you know, is over, give it some time, compute your forgiveness amount, and then apply for forgiveness. Well, if you think about the math on that, that means you're not going to be applying for forgiveness until potentially well into 2021. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what if it comes time for you to file your tax return and you have either not applied for forgiveness or have not received a ruling on forgiveness? So what do you do in terms of those non-deductible expenses? Are they non-deductible in 2020, even though the, the triggering event to make them non-deductible has not occurred when you file your return, which is, you know, knowing the amount of your forgiveness? Or do they become non-deductible somehow in 2021 uh, when the forgiveness amount is is recognized, even though you know those expenses weren't actually incurred in 2020? And so this is Kelly, the question I am fielding more than any other is when are these amounts you know going to be non-deductible? Because as you and I know, right, a tax bill is not something that 
you just pay all at once, right? In, in March or April and, mm-hmm. and call it a day. The IRS wants their money now, right? They want it in the form <laughs> of estimated payments. And so the biggest issue that I'm going to be dealing with over the next couple months from a PPP perspective are businesses that are looking to make their fourth quarter estimated payment and saying, I have no idea. Like, do I, I have all these expenses I paid with PPP loans. Are they non-deductible now? In which case I need to make a higher estimated payment or do I trust that I'll be able to take these expenses and potentially have them be non-deductible next year? And so it's no secret, I think, why we don't have guidance as far as the mechanics. And it's because you know Congress has continued to say they would like to pass another deal that would not only uh, make the forgivable amount tax-free, but as you alluded to, allow for double dipping and allow for the expenses to be fully deductible. And so everybody's just kind of waited with, you know, bated breath to, to see if that comes to fruition. But at some point, you, you have to start cutting checks to the IRS and just deal with the information that we have available today. And so the non-deductibility thing, yeah, it's not something that is going to be a future issue. It's a, it's a now issue. Business owners are, are really struggling with it every day. Right. In terms of other, you know, timing issues, since you mentioned estimated payments, are you, and obviously, you know, folks who are listening understand that it's a, it's a fact and circumstance and client-specific piece of advice, but it sounds like you're generally telling folks that they should kind of plan for now and not for changes. Is that sort of the, the advice that you're giving people in terms of how to make estimateds and, and, and do their year-end planning? Yeah, so we, we held off, you know, at my firm at Ruben Brown, we held off on doing like this final kind of Hey, all all encompassing, all inclusive webinar for the public for a number of months because it was just the rules were changing every day, every day, and we finally drew a line in the sand. You know, about three weeks ago, and said, "I think we've got everything we're going to get of substance at this point." And of course, little things are going to trickle out. I mean, two weeks or so ago, we got some guidance on you know what something that was coming up more than you would imagine, but. You know, what happens if you take out a PPP loan and then you sell your company, you know, during the period, right. like who, who's kind of on the hook of dealing with that? So you'll always get information that trickles out. But I certainly believe that at this point, everybody knows enough, right? We know enough to compute the amount eligible for forgiveness. I mean, there's, there's certainly some unknowns. I mean, there's a great deal of unknowns, but I don't think those unknowns are going to get addressed between now and and you know the drop dead date for applying for forgiveness. So I don't think lack of information at this point is causing people not to apply for forgiveness. I just think, again, some people are going to be deliberate about it, wait out their 24-week covered period, take their time, you know, sit down with a, their accountants, whatever it may be, compute the amount eligible for forgiveness, and you know, apply probably sometime in 2021. Unless, as I said before, people are really anxious to understand if they can get a forgivable amount known in 2020 so that they know exactly what their tax picture looks like in 2020. But what if they do that? What if they do that, Kelly? And they say, hey, we know our amount now and we know it's forgiven. And so when we, you know, early in 2021, they prepare their tax return and they deny those deductions on the 2020 return. And then you know, a couple of weeks later, Congress passes a bill that makes uh, those amounts deductible, right? And so there's... There's just always this feeling like the other shoe is going to drop with some aspect of PPP, which 
goes back to what I was saying before, which is why sometimes I think it's best to just say, we've come this far, let's use our maximum amount of time to apply for forgiveness and just see where the chips fall between now and then. I think really, really the kind of advice that I'm hearing mostly is that plan for now. Um, they've, they've changed a lot so far. And uh, let's hope that things aren't going to change much more. And the one change that I have heard folks uh, wish for is going to be some kind of PPP-related penalty relief from the service, whether it is with respect to estimated payments or some other kind of adjustments. Have you heard any chatter on that, or are you just kind of focusing on now? Yeah, less chatter about that, more chatter about what has become like the great kind of urban legend rumor about PPP loans is that rubber stamp forgiveness, right? Rubber stamp right. forgiveness is coming for certain. And, and we got an aspect of that about two weeks ago, right? And it kind of came out of left field. And again, this just speaks to the theme that we've been talking about is eh, maybe, you know, maybe more time is better because we never know what's going to come next. But a couple of weeks ago, they came out and said, hey, if you borrowed less than $50,000, you know, it's not rubber stamped forgiveness, but it's much more streamlined right? You have a streamlined application, the 3508S. And more importantly, for some reason, they said, hey, you borrowed less than 50000 Unlike all other borrowers, you are not uh, required to reduce your forgivable amount, even if you slashed headcount or, or cut salaries during your covered period. And again, that came out of nowhere. And that was certainly welcome news to those who borrowed less than 50000 And so, yeah, obviously, when you see something like that, borrowers are going to say, well, maybe Maybe I'm next in line to get some unexpected benefit from the right. SBA. And so, yeah, that's what we keep seeing. We, and, and, you know, we've heard kind of Stephen Mnuchin make some reference to potentially borrowers of less than $150,000 really kind of getting a, a free pass on this. And, you know, all you have to do is hear that once if you're a business owner and you say, well, I'm going to wait this out for a while and make sure that, you know, they're not going to make my life a whole lot easier the way they just did for borrowers of less than 50000 And so, that I think is where kind of a lot of eyes are, is just, are they going to try to make this much cleaner for a lot of the smaller borrowers? What about the flip side of that? I've heard a lot of folks claiming because of the mandatory audit provisions for the larger loans. Do you, do you think that, I mean, this is one of those like goofy opinion questions, but do you think that's fair or warranted? And have you heard borrowers suggesting that they wish they had done something different because they're worried about that? Oh, there's been no shortage of buyer's remorse when it comes to PPP loads. Trust me on that. Uh, yeah, there are a number of borrowers with you know, more than the magic $2 million number that you know, know that they're going to be having the tires kicked by the SBA and, and don't understand exactly what that entails. And so you know, I, I could tell you that at my firm, you know, for, for some of the borrowers in that spectrum who are particularly concerned, you know, we've actually kind of built, worked with them to build a, a case for a documentation case of, of why they needed the loan and, and actually, you know, running some, some kind of financial metrics to show how business operated during uh, the covered period relative to the previous periods. And, and like I said, being able to strengthen the argument for when that SBA review comes that, hey, we needed this loan, uh, particularly when the requirement going back to what we said earlier, is pretty darn vague economic uncertainty caused by COVID-19. So yeah, there's, there's enough concern, let's put it that way, that, that people are asking their accountants to kind of preemptively 
build a case for why they needed the loan. And, you know, it's, it's something that, again, what, what's most troubling about it is it's not in the pages of the CARES Act, right? It's something that evolved over time. And yes, you know, in fairness, the SPA, when they initially announced how they were going to look at borrowers of more than $2 million, they did say, you know, you have some time to give the loan back. But you know, a lot of borrowers said, I truly believe I need this money. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple months go by and the business didn't struggle as much as they thought. Yeah, they are absolutely concerned about what an, an SBA audit looks like. Right. Kind of to end on a, a hopeful note or maybe a positive note. One of the things that I do think that has come out of this in a positive way, um, for at least for tax professionals, um, is that it has reminded businesses of the need for keeping good records, for the importance of good accounting, for the importance of good bookkeeping, and also good planning. Because I know early on, one of the things that folks were um, kind of talking about a lot was S-corporations, for example, and how they were organized and the way that they were taking compensation and the ratios of compensation. Uh, A lot of those rules, which we know you know, they're, they're, we've always said, make sure that compensation is sufficient. You know, you've said these kinds of things to clients before. And I think that, that a lot of it was a, we'll figure it out someday, right? And I think PPP ended up being someday for a lot of businesses because, um, you know, again, not just on the, the planning side for like S corporations and, and compensation, but for keeping books and, and, and making sure that you account for payroll properly and that you're not paying people off the books and that you're categorizing independent contractors properly versus employees. A lot of these business practices that we know are important and we know from a tax and accounting perspective, you should be practicing year long. When you're running a business, sometimes you don't have the time to stop and take a breath and think about why it's important to do it. And PPP, I think, has been a really good reminder of why it's important to have good planning, why it's important to have good tax professionals on hand, why it's important to engage in good bookkeeping practices year-round. So, you know, that I'm kind of trying to see as a silver lining. Is your firm seeing that? Are people saying, you know what, I'm, I'm glad that I had a moment where I needed to, to get my books in order because now it makes sense to keep them in order going forward. Like, are you seeing that or are you just seeing people who are frustrated? No, there's no question that that's one of the silver linings here is a lot of business owners, you know, who, who tend to kick the can down the road in terms of really taking a close look at and organizing their books. And again, understanding some tax specific comments like or concepts like reasonable compensation, their hand was forced right through the PPP process to really kind of gain an intimate knowledge of what's going on inside their books, what they typically spend in payroll in a given period versus the rent versus their, you know, their utilities, um, and to account for every penny in an accurate and, and verifiable manner. Yeah, this is absolutely one of the silver linings. And as you said, I mean, it's, it's a way to learn kind of a harsh lesson. And, and I've witnessed this a couple of times. And what I mean is, is something you referenced. So these S-Corp shareholders, right, we've been imploring them for decades based on tax court cases that they have to take out a a certain amount of compensation that's reasonable or else they potentially risk audit because the IRS can can allege that they're, you know, inappropriately avoiding payroll taxes, but it doesn't matter, right? S-corp shareholders tend to want to keep their salaries as low as possible to save on those payroll taxes. Well, what did the PPP do? The PPP came in in 2020 and said, 
hey, as corp shareholder, you know, you can pay yourself a salary during the covered period and it's going to be forgiven, but you can only have it forgiven based on kind of the proportionate amount of time, you know, a 24 week period based on a proportionate amount of what you paid yourself in 2019. And so this prevented, you know, business owners, you know, let's say you're a sole owner of an S Corp who maybe only paid themselves $10,000 in all of 2019 because they wanted to save on payroll taxes. They couldn't suddenly pay themselves, you know, $20,000 during the covered period here in, in 2020 and have it forgiven. So they learned a hard lesson that, hey, you know, sometimes paying yourself reasonable comp comes back to benefit you in the end. So there have been a, a number of, of hard lessons that have been learned throughout this process. And again, we all, you know, business owners, accountants, everybody wish we didn't have to learn it in the throes of a global pandemic and, and money that was borrowed to, to keep your very existence. But it never hurts to learn that, hey, it's a good idea to know everything that's going on inside my business. What do I spend, you know, during a given period, you know, on all these different buckets? And so, and of course, from mine and your perspective, if it forces business owners to, to learn a little bit more about the tax law and how it works and that's always uh, enables us to find more common ground in our conversations as we move forward. So yeah, let's agree to look at that um, as the silver lining of PPP, because other than that, and simply the access to the proceeds, it's really been a tough process for a lot of business owners. And so hopefully some good can come out of it. I sure hope so. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I thought this was really valuable. If folks wanted to find you, and I'll be sure to put um, information in the show notes with uh, links to the firm and, and your site on Forbes, but if folks wanted to find you on social, where would you send them? Yeah, I'd send them straight to Twitter. Very simple. I'm at Nitty AJ, N-I-T-T-I-A-J. And everything I, I kind of write about the tax law, much like you know Kelly ends up on my Twitter account, where I'll be teaching, speaking, that sort of thing. It's all it's all out there. So yeah, Nitty AJ on Twitter, and I will see you there. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kelly. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.